So over the past four weeks, we have been in the midst of the What If series. And this morning, I am doing the final morning on the What If series. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, asking all sorts of questions like, what if we loved others? What if we saved others? What if we were more thankful? What if we took more risks? And speaking of taking more risks, this morning, I feel like my talk title is quite a risk. I was quite scared when I came up with it. I suggested it as we sat around the table and had a meeting about the What If series. And I was quite scared because I pitched it. I said, what if, and said my talk title, hoping that everyone would go, nah, nah, it doesn't really fit. And I was like, hoping that that would come out. And what happened was everybody around the table went, that's brilliant, Andy. You should definitely do that. And I'm sat there thinking... You know, I'd go and listen to someone else talk on this. I'd go to a seminar about this, but I don't want to do it. And it's been one of the hardest talk titles I've had to write. And it is this, what if Jesus was never born? What if Jesus was never born? Somebody had a little, ooh, then it was that good. (laughs) And, you know, I spent quite a bit of time researching it, quite a bit of time Googling it. There's all sorts of crazy things on Google. And the first thing that I can think of is if Jesus was never born, we wouldn't have Christmas. And then the next six or seven weeks wouldn't be as stressful. You wouldn't be having that conversation about, do I move this person up from the Christmas card list to the present list? Do I move this person off the present list? Because I've not seen them that often in the past year. Um, You know, when you reach a certain age, you get two things at Christmas, socks and chocolate. So if Jesus was never born, we wouldn't be eating as much chocolate. If Jesus was never born, we wouldn't celebrate Easter again a lot less chocolate in our lives. So maybe already we can be thankful that Jesus was born so that we can eat chocolate. Um, As I look around, as as I look at culture, phrases and sayings that we have are are as a result of Jesus being born. You know, Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus, is known as a phrase. You know, if if your best friend turns their back on you, what are you going to call them? Because you can't call them Judas, because if Jesus wasn't born, the whole Judas story didn't happen. You know, if... um, if Jesus was never born, then Lazarus never, never, was never raised from the dead. So then when a football team comes back from 3-0 down at half-time, what would we compare their comeback to? And I'm not going to mention the score yesterday for those Albion fans that are here. Um, you know, the, <laughs> one other thing, you know, some people, I emphasize some people, when they come to do DIY, you know, they've got the nail, they've got the hammer, they pull the hammer back, they miss the nail but hit their thumb. If Jesus was never born, there'd be a different thing said at that time. Do you know what I'm saying? Julius Caesar, it, our world would be a totally different place. And this morning, I want to look at you know, this question, what if Jesus was never born? Through the eyes of somebody's life who was totally impacted by the life of Jesus. And that is Peter. Peter was probably the number one disciple. Um, he was probably Jesus' closest friend. And uh, in When we originally meet uh, Peter, he's called Simon. And Jesus changes his name to Peter. And and he says, I will call you Cephas, which means rock, which is another name for Peter. And if you, uh, in Matthew 16, it's going to be on the screen, so don't worry about turning in your Bibles. We hear Jesus say this, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. You see, if there's no Jesus, then there's no Peter. And if there's no Peter, then there's no church. And you are not here right now. You're probably still in bed or watching Sunday Morning Kitchen or something like that. Some of you are enjoying that thought right now, but that's okay. You know, 
the biggest way that we can measure the impact of Jesus on the history of our world is to look at the impact of the church. And Peter was the guy that led the church. When Jesus died, rose again, and then ascended to heaven, went to heaven, then Peter kind of led the movement of the church. And as we look back through the history of the world, our world would be so, so different if Jesus had never been born. You know, the teachings of Jesus provide us with our basic moral codes. Jesus taught us to love your neighbor as you love yourself. How many times do you hear a parent say, treat others how you wish to be treated? That's off the back of Jesus. In 1884, a guy called H.L. Hastings went to Fiji. And when he went to Fiji, he found that you could buy a human life for seven US dollars. And when you bought that life, you could do whatever you wanted. You could put it to work. You could kill it. You could even eat it. It didn't matter. It cost $7 and it was your property. It was even more expensive to buy a cow than it was to buy a human life. Then a number of years later, Hastings returned to Fiji and he found that you could no longer purchase a human life for $7. You couldn't even purchase it for $7 million. The humans were no longer for sale. And as Hastings looked into it, he he found that during the time that he'd been away, over 1,200 churches had been planted in Fiji. And they brought the teachings of Jesus that said that you are valued as a human being, that your life is valuable and you cannot be bought at a price. The teachings of Jesus have such an impact on our world. They teach us value. You know, it is followers of of Jesus, Jesus who have and continue to fight against slavery. You know, the likes of William Wilberforce, the likes of Martin Luther King worked off the back of Jesus' teaching against against gender inequality and against racial inequality. You know, today in our world, there are more slaves, there are more people in slavery today than there ever has been at any point in history. And it's Christian organizations such as Stop the Traffic and the A21 campaign that are leading the fight against modern day slavery. You know, it was the church that first introduced education for all. Before then, it was considered for the upper classes, for the rich. And the church said, no, we want to educate everybody. If you Google what if Jesus was never born, you get all sorts of wackos and weirdos and wonderful websites. Um, And a thing that came up time and time again when I was researching it was that there'd be a lot less wars if Jesus had never been born. And that's an interesting one for me to chew over. And you know, as I've looked into it, I think my take on it is, you know, a lot of people went into, went into war in the name of Jesus and in the name of religion. And when I've looked at it, I think they're using it as an excuse. And I think actually they would have gone to war anyway. They just chose to do it in the name of Jesus. And the arts would look very different. We wouldn't have the Sistine Chapel. Music wouldn't look the same. Um, literature wouldn't look the same. And my personal favorite is we are here in church on the 27th of October 2013 AD. AD is Latin, it stands for Anno Domini and it is Latin for the year of our Lord. See the very thing that we measure time by is because Jesus was born. Therefore if Jesus had not been born I don't know how we'd measure the date. The beautiful irony in this is when an atheist comes to write a paper on why God doesn't exist and they put the date on it, they have to acknowledge the existence of Jesus. That's beautiful, isn't it? It just totally undoes what they do. I think that's wonderful. You know, if Jesus was never born, then our world would look so, so different, and it would be huge. You know, the impact of Jesus is irrefutable. And, 
You know, if Jesus wasn't born, then we cannot know the character of God. As we've looked back at these last uh, few weeks at the different questions and the different stories of Jesus that we've looked at, we see some of the character of God. One of the writers of the New Testament calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. You see, it is, it is God in human form. That's who Jesus is. If you want to know what God is like, then look at the life of Jesus and see his character and see who he is. And, you know, the existence of Jesus isn't actually up for debate. If you uh, talk to scholars, uh, theologians, historians, they would tell you that, that no one would argue against the existence of Jesus because there's more evidence for the life of Jesus than there is for the life of Julius Caesar. It's not really up for debate, but the debate is around whether Jesus was the Son of God. And you know, there's, there's tons and tons of, of influential figures, good and bad throughout history, if you think of the likes of William Wilberforce, who have talked about Napoleon, Hitler, that's a bad influence. We've got all sorts of influential figures throughout history. The thing that sets Jesus apart for me is the resurrection. You see, if Jesus was never born, then he never died, and he never rose again. And I just want to focus on the cross for a moment. You see, when Jesus was born, he, he came and, and he came as God in human form. God humbled himself to become what he had created because he was so desperate for me and you to have a relationship with him. And when Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He lived a life of example that we can look at and know the character of God, that we can follow ourselves. But the important thing is, is Jesus never got it wrong. You see, you and I, we get it wrong, and I know it's hard to believe. I do get it wrong sometimes. But, you know, we, we get it wrong on a daily basis. We mess up. And sometimes the Bible refers to that as sin. And because God is so holy and perfect, and because he's God, he can't look at anything, and he can't be in, involved in anything that is messed up, that is sinful. So when Jesus comes and lives a perfect life, um, he comes and sets an example and the, the Bible says that the punishment for being sinful is death. So when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes the blame, that, the, the punishment that you and I deserve for all the stuff that we, we continually mess up on. And he takes the punishment and he deals with it. You know, often as Christians, you, you, uh, you might hear Christians say, you know, I'm a sinner. You know, I'm a sinner say, saved by Jesus. You know, I want to tell you that you are not a sinner if you're a Christian. You are not a sinner. And here's why. You see, Jesus died, he took the punishment, and then he rose to life three days later. He defeated death. He got up and he said, I've dealt with, I've dealt with the punishment. Now come and be in relationship with me. Come and follow me. And you see, if you're following Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, then you are not a sinner. You are a saint. That's what the Bible calls you. So please never, ever call yourself a sinner because you're not. Because when... When God looks at you, he now sees Jesus. And he sees the perfect and spotless life that Jesus led. That's why you're not a sinner. You're a saint. But you see, the resurrection is so key to, to Jesus' impact on the world. Because if, if he only died on the cross and the story ends there, then it's just a story about a man who died. But you see, when Jesus gets up, he says, come and follow me. Come and be in relationship with me. When I was uh, 15 in an RE lesson, I remember the teacher turning to us and we were discussing about the resurrection and, and some people in the class were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And others were like, yeah, yeah, well, it definitely happened. So as a class, we discussed the possibilities of what could have, what could have happened instead of Jesus being raised to life. 
And the best that a group of 15-year-old boys could come up with is that Jesus' body had been eaten by super-fast bone-eating maggots. It's, it's hardly groundbreaking theology, is it? You know, a couple of years ago, I was asked a, a, for a charity that I used to work for to produce a video project around the evidence of the resurrection. And as I looked into it, and I know I'm biased, but as I looked into it, the only logical conclusion can be that, is that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you want to look into it, please do. I promise you the only logical conclusion is that Jesus rose from the dead. And when Jesus rises from the dead, that means you and I can have a living relationship with the living God. It has a massive impact on us as individuals. And we're going to go back to looking at Peter when we first meet Peter in Matthew 4. And it's going to be on the screens. It's already on the screens. And it says this. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, Peter was a Jewish boy. He grew up as a Jew. And all Jewish boys would grow up and they would learn the scriptures until the age of 11. They would study them. And at the age of 11, there was a kind of Jewish 11 plus exam that they had to pass. Um, and they would, they would basically be assessed and seen if they were clever um, or intelligent or holy enough to go on and study the scriptures further. If they failed that 11 plus exam, they were told to go and do their father's trade. Now, because we meet Peter here and he's a fisherman, we can deduce that Peter, as an 11-year-old boy, was told he's not good enough to be a disciple and that he should go and learn his father's trade and go and be a fisherman. Now, if you were considered good enough, you would study the scriptures for a few more years um, and then you would kind of spend a bit of time with a rabbi and eventually a rabbi would decide whether you were good enough to be his disciple. And he would utter the words, come and follow me. You see, for Peter, in this moment when he first meets Jesus, when Jesus rocks up and says, come and follow me, it's a massive moment for Peter. Because he was told at the age of 11 that he could never be a disciple. And yet here he is as a fisherman, living out his father's trade, and Jesus says, come and follow me. You know, for me personally, it's been a lifelong dream to go and play for Liverpool Football Club. And one day it might happen, but it's not going to happen, I promise you that. Um, And if Brendan Rodgers, who's the Liverpool manager, was to walk in through those doors at the back and say, Andy, I want you to come and play for us next week, I would put the microphone down, and I I wouldn't. But it would be such a significant moment for me to be asked to play for Liverpool Football Club that I would drop whatever I was doing and I would run and I would go. And this is what it's like for Peter. Peter meets Jesus. Jesus says, come, follow me. Come and be my disciple. It's a huge moment for Peter. You see, and Jesus calls you this morning. Jesus says to you, come and be my disciple. Come and follow me. You know, whether you've known Jesus for for years and years and years or it's your first time in church this morning, Jesus says, come and be my disciple. I want to know you and I want you to know me. It gives them a calling and a purpose. You know, we discussed uh, the whole question of what if Jesus was never born as a staff team a number of weeks ago and now, One of the stance girls, stance are a dance team that are based with us. um, And uh, one of the girls, she uh, said, if Jesus had never been born, then I wouldn't have been born. And we were like, okay, just tell us a little bit more. 
And she told us that uh, before she was born, her mum and dad uh, were having trouble in their marriage and, and it came close to them getting a divorce. And one day her dad went along to a church and, and met Jesus for the first time and gave his life to Jesus. And then her mum did and it totally transformed their lives and transformed their marriage. And as a result of that, they're still together today and Rebs has been born. And now Rebs, who is, who is part of a dance team touring the country, telling others about Jesus. You see, the existence of Jesus, whether Jesus, if Jesus was born, then it has a massive impact on our lives. And I think it is so significant. It gives, it gives Peter a calling and a purpose. It gives Rebs a calling and a purpose. It gives you and I a calling and a purpose. Do you know, if you're not a Christian today, this can be your story. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never said, I want to follow you, Jesus, I want to be your disciple, this can be your story. If you are already a Christian, you might be sat there thinking about, you know, actually, I remember times where if it wasn't for Jesus, this wouldn't have happened to me. And it's encouraging to think of those stories. But I think we're guilty of taking Jesus for granted a little bit. I think I've been blown away by some of the things I've read while I've been researching this. And I've been like, I'm so sorry, Jesus, for shrinking you down. Sometimes we shrink Jesus down to gentle Jesus, meek and mild, skipping through a field of butterflies, holding a lamb. Like we shrink Jesus down. And yet Jesus is so much more bigger than that. His impact is ridiculously huge on the history of our world. And his impact is ridiculously huge in the history of my life. You know, we can't just leave Jesus in a stained glass window. And you know, if... If you're not a Christian and this is the first time you're, you're hearing about, about the impact and the story of Jesus, then I want to apologize to you on behalf of the church because we should be better at telling people about, about Jesus because he's incredible. I want to uh, read a quote to you that I uh, first read a, number of years, a couple of years ago when I was on holiday. And when I read it, I nearly fell off my sun lounger. Um, it, it just blew me away. It's uh, from a guy called John Piper. And it says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked, all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Jesus was not there? For me, that's a huge challenge. Because I read that on my sun lounger getting a tan and I'm like, yes, come on. This is great. This is a really encouraging Christian book. I'm having a great time here. You know, no more sickness, no more human conflict. That sounds brilliant to me. And then I was like, oh, I didn't even notice Jesus wasn't in that paragraph. That's awkward. It was a huge, huge challenge. I think we take Jesus for granted. We forget that it's all about Jesus. You know, a number of years ago, I uh, was living and working in Manchester and uh, I used to play football on a Saturday morning. And uh, one day I was running for the ball. Nobody was near me, but I just suddenly fell over. I think the ground tripped me up or something. And uh, I, I got to the floor, thought, that's quite an unusual pain in my ankle. Got up and walked off the pitch because I'm a man and I'm hard. I got to the side of the pitch, realized that my ankle may be broken. and then decided I was going to go home, watch the football, then go around to my mates that evening and then the next day I went to hospital because I'm a bloke and I was like, I can walk off a broken ankle. And uh, the next day when I went to hospital, they told me, Andy, you've got a broken ankle. You're going to be in cast for seven weeks. 
And at the time, I was working uh, for uh, a charity called Youth for Christ, um, and I was part of the prisons team. So I, I would go into prisons and tell people about Jesus. It sounds typical for a scouser to spend his life in and out of prison. <laughs> but I did do that for a couple of years. And um, I kind of called my boss and said, look, I've broken my ankle. I'm on crutches. I'm in a cast. Um, what's the deal? And uh, we discussed and it was decided that, that it was too much of a health risk, a health and safety risk for me to go into prisons. So I was told, look, you need to be off for six or seven weeks. And I thought, this is brilliant. I was like, I can play FIFA. I can complete all my PS3 games. I can watch films. I can chill out. I'm going to eat marshmallows. It's going to be brilliant. And it was brilliant for about two weeks. And then once I completed all my games and watched all the films on Sky Movies, I had nothing to do. And I got so bored. I got fed up. And it came to a point in kind of week six or week seven that I began to wonder some things about my life. I began to wonder, do I actually know Jesus? Am I actually a Christian? Do, do I follow Jesus? Because I wasn't working, because I wasn't going in, into prisons and telling young offenders about Jesus, I began to question my own faith. And God taught me something very important. That I was basing my faith and my relationship with Jesus on what I was doing, not who I am and who Jesus is. And as I look around, I see so many people that do that. And I, I still have to regularly challenge myself. You know, how many times do I, do I sit down and pray and spend time with Jesus and don't talk about work? You know, it, it is such a challenge. And <laughs> it kind of uh, came to me a couple of weeks ago when I was playing football on a Monday night at Goals in Raleigh Regis. And I play uh, on a team that is mostly lads who aren't Christians. And I was given two of these lads a lift home. And uh, as we were coming down Mucklow's Hill, uh, one of them said, Andy, what are you doing in, in Hales Owen? And I was like, it's a good question, to be honest. Um, and uh, I began to kind of fumble my way through trying to explain that, that God called me here and I believe God's asking me to be here and that's why I'm here and you're not really a Christian. But it, it was, it was, I fumbled my way through it. And uh, mid-explanation, mid one of the lads turned to me and said, so, so are you quite religious then, Andy? And I, can't, I enjoy it when people ask me if I'm religious when I say I'm a Christian because often, you know, my, my response is, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious because being a Christian is all about relationship. It's not about religion. You know, I can't do anything to make God love me more. God just loves me and it's about me being friends with him and being in relationship with him. And as I was beginning to explain this, I felt a real challenge on my own life. Why do I do the things that I do? Someone once asked me the question, am I in love with the Lord of the work or in love with the work of the Lord? And I want to be in love with the Lord of the work. You know, every other morning, I take Laura a cup of tea. She does it every other morning. I do the other ones. Um, it's because we go down, we let the dog out, then we make a cup of tea and take it up. I do that because I love my wife. I don't do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't do it because I'd be in the doghouse if I, if I didn't. I do it because I love my wife. And as we look at Peter, you can see why that's important. We're going to uh, skip to John 21, and again, it's going to be on the screens. It says this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, hey, just before we go into this, there's a bit of background to this. So what happened is uh, before the night before Jesus was crucified, the disciples are all together having a meal, um, and 
Uh, Peter's giving it Billy big time. He's like, you know, whatever, whatever happens, Jesus, I'm going to be there for you. I've got your back. No matter uh, any, anyone comes at you, I'm going to deck them. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And uh, Peter, Peter's giving it large to Jesus, saying, I've got your back, I'm your man, this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, look, Peter, before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, I'm not, I'm not, I'm your boy. And all this. And, and Jesus, come on, Andy. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you will. And then Jesus is arrested and people come up to Peter and they're like, aren't you that guy who was, who was with Jesus? Aren't you one of those disciples? And he's like, no, no, I'm not. And they, you know, he denies him three times and then Jesus dies. And then the really awkward thing for Peter is that Jesus rises from the dead. That's really awkward for Peter because, you know, if I was Peter, I would be avoiding Jesus. You know that moment when you see someone who you've fallen out with and you're in town centre and you're like, oh, oh, suddenly that shop's really interesting. (laughs) If I was Peter, I'd be avoiding Jesus. But this is what happens in John 21. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was here because Jesus asked him the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You see, Peter gets it wrong. And when I read that, I, we, we all expect Jesus to come wagging his finger going, I told you so, Peter, didn't I tell you? When you were giving it large, I told you what you were going to do and you've done it. And often when we mess up, when we get it wrong, when we take Jesus for granted, we often think that God is mad. And I want to tell you this morning, God is not mad at you. God is asking you a question. Do you love me? Do you love me? You see, when I think about the whole religion versus relationship thing, you know, if we come out of a place of relationship and love, then the religious stuff doesn't matter. You know, if, if you come to church on a Sunday because you have to, if you read your Bible because that's what Christians are supposed to do, if you spend time praying because you feel like God might be angry with you if you don't, then I want to suggest to you that you're religious this morning. But actually, when you take those things and you do them from a place of love, then they become transformational. You know, like I said before, I, I, I take my wife a cup of tea, not because I have to, but because I want to. Yesterday morning, I got up and took her to Raleigh Regis Station early on a Saturday morning because she was going to go and pottery painting with some friends, which is as much fun as it sounds. <laughs> and... <laughs> She came back and told me all about the teapot she painted, and I was like, oh, great. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I don't do that because I'm supposed to. I don't do that because I have to. I do that because I love my wife, and I want want her to be happy, and I want to do things that improves our relationship. You see, when you come to church, it's about coming and spending time with God's people and in God's presence and learning more about the God that we love. When you read your Bible, it's about reading the stories and learning the character of Jesus so that we can fall more in love with Jesus. When you pray, when you, when you spend time talking to God, it's about building your relationship with Jesus. You see, I want to encourage you this morning, please don't be religious, but be relational.
You know, when I say fall, fall more in love with Jesus, I don't mean change your relationship status or anything like that on Facebook. I mean spend some time with Jesus. When was the last time you carved some time out and just sat down and spent time with just you and Jesus? I know that's a challenge for me in my life. You know, just because I'm a, I'm a staff member at church, it doesn't mean that I've got this sorted. As I'm speaking, as I'm reading this, as I'm, I've been thinking about it, it's challenged me. But I think we can all fall more in love with Jesus. And actually, as we come to a close, the only response that I can think of is to sing together and to worship God. So I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, if you want to stand with me, that would be excellent. And like I say, I've been blown away as I've been preparing this talk and as I've been putting it together. And as I came to write a kind of closing paragraph, a closing couple of sentences, um, I began to write something and then I realised somebody else had already written a better ending to this talk. And it's um, a guy called Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. And uh, he's writing to some people in Philippi. And he says this. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What if Jesus had never been born? My world wouldn't be the same, and neither was yours. Let's sing.